Welcome to another episode of Code for Thought. With the UK RSE Conference 2023 starting on the 5th of September, I wanted to take a look behind the scenes and find out what it takes to organize and run an event like this. Meet Sam Mangum and Ed Bennett from the organizing committee who will tell us what to expect from the conference, how they got involved in organizing it and how you and the community can help to run this and future community events. And here now my conversation with Ed and Sam. Hello Ed, hello Sam. Thanks very much for your time today. I know how busy you are organizing the UK RSE conference, which is in fact the subject for today. But for the sake of the listeners, could you briefly introduce yourself please? Hi, I'm Ed Bennett. I am a senior research software engineer at Swansea University and I am the program chair for this year's um 7th annual conference on research software engineering in Swansea. Hi, I'm Sam Mangum. I'm a senior research software engineer at uh, the University of Southampton and I am the uh, conference events lead trustee for the Society of Research Software Engineering. So I'm closely involved in organizing the conference. This is the 7th conference of the RSE Society. And uh, last year was in Newcastle, which was immediately after the COVID pandemic. So this is year two. So things should be a little bit easier, shouldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, every conference comes with its own unique challenges. Last year, we were dealing with the fact that it was our first conference after COVID, and it was really a concern as to whether anyone would want to come at all. This year, the challenge is that I, th I think the biggest challenge, at least, is that we've lost Claire Wyatt. Claire Wyatt has gone to work in Germany, so now we've been trying to scramble to pick up all the different tasks that Claire was managing so well previously, trying to work out how mm. to spread those among more people. Indeed. Talking about the conference in particular, so what can people expect then? It starts on the fifth of September and runs until the eighth, doesn't it? There's satellite events on the Monday and the Friday, so that is the the 4th and the 8th of September and the conference proper is the 5th to the 7th the agenda is similar to previous conferences quite similar to the one we had in Newcastle so on the first mm. day we will have uh, keynote and parallel talks on the second day we will have uh, workshops walkthroughs and new for this year we will also have a hackathon on the middle day and then on the Thursday we will have another plenary panel session And then we will have more parallel talks before we finish the conference mid-afternoon on, on Thursday. So talk me through what's happening on Monday and Friday then. So the, you, you mentioned satellite events. What are they? So the satellite events we have on the Monday before the conference, uh, there's the traditional RSE leaders meeting where we have, you know, like senior RSEs from various groups, uh, people who have lots of like leadership roles uh, within the community and within various universities, RSE groups. Uh, but we've also got a uh, larger Trusted Research Environments event. This is kind of being organized, uh, sponsored by uh, DARE UK and Health Data Research UK. It's for RSEs and also people from outside the RSE community who work in trusted research environments. So like uh, data platforms that are designed to allow you to form analysis on sensitive data, like health and medical data, but without needing direct access to it. So actually, we expect the attendance for this to be about, about 100 people. And there's going to be people attending that from who aren't actually going to the RSE conference as well. And then on Friday, after the conference, we've got a training satellite event. So this one is being sponsored by the Software Sustainability Institute. So increasingly, RSE groups have larger training portfolios, large training responsibilities. Yeah. Uh, and there's a swathe of like major training going forwards across multiple groups. From that sort of community, we're going to get going to have people like meet up and discuss best practice, 
the gaps in people's provision, how we think we can get the maximum trains delivered to the maximum number of people in the best possible way. There's not been a forum so far really for everybody to meet other than things like Carpentry Connect or just separate individual groups for particular training projects. So yeah, those are our, those are our satellite events. I think they're quite important events, and I remember the trusted research environment because that was actually a subject for discussion last year as well in Newcastle. But, I mean, you are expecting 100 people, so it's it's really taking off then, hasn't it? Yeah, so I think this is largely down to the involvement of DARE UK and uh, HDR UK, basically both uh, groups that national institutes that work on this sort of thing. We've been kind of working a bit with them to to try and serve their community because there might be too few people to have you know their own conference for this, but it's it's nice and easy to kind of add them to our existing conference. And since there's such a large overlap between the TRE community and the RSE community, you know, many people are parts of both. It's just a, a good synergy. The other thing that I find interesting is that in some conferences you have the kind of parallel talks, and then you have hackathons or some kind of practical sessions afterwards. But you're couching that right in the middle. Was that a conscious decision or did it just happen that way? That's something we decided for last year's conference because at previous conferences where there was a lot of feedback that people wanted to attend the workshops but felt that there wasn't as much interest because people had were constrained on budget or were constrained that their institutions were giving them pressure to come back. So they, they needed to run away more quickly. So how, sandwiching in, in the middle means that there's a better opportunity for people to really stay around and engage with all of that stuff on the middle day. And we, we found that worked really well last year for us. So we thought it would be perfectly reasonable to, to do the same thing again there. One thing that I wanted to move to next is hybrid events and hybrid event organizing. Because unlike the collaborations workshop, which was organized by the Software Sustainability Institute this year in 2023, which was actually advertised as a hybrid event, this is not a hybrid event then, is it? Organizing a hybrid event is a massive undertaking. And everyone we spoke to who has experience of organizing hybrid events, fully hybrid events, suggested that it would be mad for us to try and do it for this size of conference with the kind of audience we're expecting. That said, there was a lot of feedback last year that some people aren't able to join us in person and would like to be able to get some aspects of the conference. So we are offering uh, remote participation, not fully hybrid. So the remote experience won't have, for example, the social events that come with attending in person, but it does give you access to streaming uh, video for all of the talks, all of the panels, and and the walkthroughs as well. Everything that is the less interactive content, you will be able to get access to with a, a remote ticket. We are strictly asking up our chairs of all our sessions to make sure that all questions and audience participation in those goes through Slido rather than people sticking their hands up and shouting out. We thought it would be a little bit too much to put onto our workshop submitters to ask them to organize a hybrid workshop. For the workshops, those are those are in person only. Those of us who uh, attended this year's collaborations workshop will know that was an incre- that w- worked incredibly well, but that was a massive undertaking. And Rachel from the SSI did incredibly well to organize this as hybrid, but it's just when you scale up the effort required to do that across 350 people across three days instead of 100 people across two, it just becomes a bit impractical, unfortunately. This is definitely a thing that we would love to do. 
we just don't have the funds available, the staff available, unfortunately. Give us a flavour of what's actually involved to pull something off like this, a full hybrid event like the Collaborations Workshop, to give the people a feel, to give the listeners a feel of what actually needs to happen in order to pull this off. So one of the things that Collaborations Workshop did really well was having lots of small rooms with owls, just kind of like remote devices that allow you to you know, have a teleconference with a whole room with lots of remote participants. So we would need to kind of, instead of having uh, like parallel sessions with 40, 50 people in a room, you'd kind of have to limit things more to, you know, 20, 30 people. And even then it's really hard to, to use an owl. You kind of need multiple Zoom licenses that have you know, the higher cost levels. You need to have, so one of the things that was uh, really well handled was having, you know, lots of Google documents for each session and everything was being done strictly via Google documents with, you know, mm. so people remotely were on parity with people in the room because everything's being done there. And another thing that actually we struggled a little bit with the collaborations workshop was the bandwidth, because if you are streaming the remote attendees to everybody in like the location, that really bites into the bandwidth. So a couple of our sessions, we had unfortunate problems because it was hard to download content because with the sheer number of the number of people sending data backwards and forwards. And again, that was for 100 people in the room, plus I think maybe about 80 people attending remotely. Yeah, there's unfortunately, I don't think the bandwidth demands for 300 people's video feeds being beamed backwards and forwards. So this is, this is sadly why hybrid is best done small. You have a high number of staff as well on hand to deal with the technical issues. So the SSI had about 15, I think, helpers or so there for a 100-person conference. And that's, that's a really high ratio to, to maintain, unfortunately. I was actually participating remotely. So I was probably one of the 80 people in the collaborations workshop. But it's quite a high ratio of 80 to 100. So 100 people in the room physically and then 80 remotely, if we sort of home in on these numbers. Do you see that... Uh, now that uh, the pandemic is drifting further and further into the mist of history, are we going back, if I may say, put it that way, to a situation where, in fact, 90% will be partaking in conferences physically rather than remotely? I think it would be a, a real shame if we cut people out of the community, having having experienced through the pandemic that we can run things with at least some remote options and do things effectively there and bring people in who can't travel in person for whatever reason to then cut those people back out and say, no, let's go back to the way things were. I think that, that would be a real shame. So that's why we tried really hard to have a remote option for, for this conference this year. We did run a survey a few months ago while we were planning what remote availability we would offer as to what people would, would want. And there was a decent chunk of the community who would said they would, they would only attend remotely. They would not attend in person. It wouldn't be, it was more than 10% of respondents said that's one of the reasons we, we chose to give the remote option that we have is that there were enough people saying that they were interested that it would cover the costs because there are associated costs with running remote live streaming uh, for an event of this size. Exactly, which is what Sam mentioned before, you know, so there's the extra licenses and there's also the people actually need to make this happen, which is, in fact, the next subject I want to touch on, because we tend to take these community events for granted, but actually they require quite a lot of effort. And I would like to talk about that. So how much effort is required 
how hard is it to organize an event like this? I'm not quite sure if we can talk about the money, but, you know, there's also that question, <laughs> of course. <laughs> but let's talk about sort of the effort, because you've been at it for quite some time now, haven't you? Yes, yeah. We, the conference committee started meeting in February of this year, I think. We have around 20-something people on the committee. We started trying to meet for an hour a week, and we were finding that wasn't enough. So we're meeting for an hour and a half, uh, sorry, a fortnight, an hour and a half a fortnight at the moment. Outside of that... Every person on the committee has extra work that they're doing in between those meetings as well. I'm probably putting in maybe a day a week of work into keeping things organized, trying to herd all of the cats. From the society's perspective, we basically, we're already looking into the chair and the venue for the RSCCon 2025. We have a chair 25, and venue for not 25. 25. Yeah, we have a chair and venue for 24. One thing that's repeatedly come up, unfortunately, is that we keep having the conference in the first year of term. And I, I really know that that's a limiting factor for people. And we, are, mm. we keep really trying hard to not have it in the first week of the English and Welsh school terms. I don't really know what the, I'm sure terms are different in Scotland, but I don't know. We keep trying really hard. But in order to book those things, you have to book multiple years in advance. So realistically, unless we are getting this dialed in for 2025, we're not going to have it. So the contract negotiations for the venue have taken for Swansea University began actually under Claire. Uh, so, <laughs> so back before last September, and they only finished in, I think, May. There's a huge amount of administrative work that goes into just things like lining up the program chair, lining up the venue, getting the contracts arranged for the venue. And so I've been probably doing over a day a week on it but i've gotten down to about a day a week now that we've got the help of the ssi's new uh, community manager Lindsay, who is great mm. and we've also brought on a, a conference organizer for the first time called dana who's part of the uh, scientific uh, conference organizing company and she's been doing really good as well basically there's it takes a lot of time to put on a conference realistically it's probably at least one full-time employee's worth of efforts which we have to try and siphon out of people in bits bits and bobs well, how hard is it to find people who are willing to help? Is there sort of a group of eager volunteers and saying, oh, well, yeah, I want to be the conference chair. Or I want to help out in identifying your program. So I'm happy to read through the draft and the abstracts. So Ed was involved in August in the conference organizing committee as well this year. And we got, we got lots of applicants. This was a really nice change. So yeah. I think because so many people saw the conference work last year, they were really eager to volunteer, and that's why we have like a quite large twenty-person organising committee. I must admit, I don't know how how we managed to get Edda's program chair. So, uh... <laughs> so I was approached. I think back in like beginning of twenty twenty, Claire was first looking into coming to Swansea. She made an approach to me at that point. I am sufficiently oblivious to subtext. that I didn't realize she was asking if I'd be program chair. She was saying, it'd be nice if there was someone in RSC from Swansea who could be program chair. I was like, yeah, that would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, uh, so, so then uh, it was the RSC leaders meeting. At some point last year, Claire asked me more explicitly if I wanted to do it for this year. And I, I said, yes, absolutely, I can do that. Especially because... Currently, I have an RSE fellowship, and I was told explicitly by STFC during the, the process for that that it would be good if I could spend some of that time supporting the wider RSE community. How did you get in your role, Sam? So I volunteered to be a trustee because basically I'd seen lots of other people in my group do it, and I knew basically so uh, James Graham and Anya Brown, mm -hmm. uh, but obviously also my boss is Simon Hetrick. So I'm, you know, very, very like 
looped into the fact that the society does a lot for the community, but requires a lot of work to keep it going. And so I thought, you know, given how much I'd gone from the RSC community uh, and how much I love the job, it was worth putting the effort back in to help perpetuate it. Because previously I've done work organizing things like pint of science events and other sorts of voluntary things like uh, data kind, data dives, that sort of thing. I thought I would use those skills to join the conference and events team. I am now having to step into Claire's shoes and they are very, yes, very big shoes to fill. We obviously, we knew in the abstract sense how vital Claire was and how important she was and how much society depended on her. It's, a, it's only when you organize events like this, you realize how much they depend on people stepping up and volunteering and donating their time to support the wider community. We Obviously, we, we really appreciate everyone who does that. It, it makes me feel, yeah, I, I need to participate more and try and support the community because otherwise we won't have a community anymore. Indeed, which is, of course, my next question. So if people do want to step up, what kind of roles are available and how can they get in touch and roll up their sleeves and get busy? That's a really good point. So if you are on the RSC Slack, you will have seen a large number of calls over the last few months because we have so many different roles that we try to fill. We recently, in principle, closed the call for volunteers, but we do still have some need for more volunteers to assist with the running of the conference, particularly online volunteers. When we're running online, then we need some people to make sure that the people who are streaming, who have the remote tickets, are getting the full experience and it's working for them. That is a role that could be done by people who couldn't travel to the conference, for instance, and perhaps people who might not be able to afford the remote ticket otherwise, because volunteers do get a a free conference ticket. So from the society's perspective, the, the things that we could really, we would really sort of benefit from would be basically people volunteering to be trustees. The process of running the society is, it's rewarding, it's engaging, but it does take a lot of volunteer effort. And so we kind of, we want to make sure that when the event rolls around and we have the AGM and there's the call for people to become trustees, please do consider becoming a trustee. Like the society is really interesting. We're, we're always in need of more trustees and I encourage you to sign up because it's great. And the society is also opening uh, sort of working groups where members of the community can help out with things. But the other conference-related help is uh, we're still sort of arranging sponsors. So if you have any contacts who might be able to uh, help to, to get us to get more sponsorship for the event, the society depends on the funding raised by the conference to sort of support running the conference next year and also the society's other, the other things that we run, like the Events Initiatives Fund, as well, just the, the ongoing costs of maintaining a charity. We really depend on sponsorship, and it'd be really helpful if people could, uh, could email any sort of leads that they have, contacts at organizations who you know would be interested in sponsoring or might have budget available. We have lists of people that we could email, but it's, the important thing is like having a contact there who might be friendly and who is familiar with the RSC community. There's the email address for that, which is a sponsorship at society-rsc.org. Just, just drop me a line there. And a step further, if you are working for a company, you control a large budget and uh, you would benefit from publicity to the RSC community, then do get in touch with that address as well. Yeah, because we tend to forget this, though, you know, community events are all very well, but they do cost money at the end. So yeah, I uh, try to second that. If you have a bag of money lying around that uh, seeks a noble cause, then consider the society. Are you getting nervous, guys? (laughs) I don't know, but I've certainly been a bit nervous. Thankfully, now we've got Lindsay and Dana helping us out with the conference organizing. I'm a lot less stressed. It's definitely nice to have 
but so both of them have a lot of experience organizing events and Dana has experience organizing conferences in the same size, you know, in bioinformatics and other similar mm. domains. Definitely the process of things like organizing the contracts has been an eye opener. <laughs> it's not, not a thing that you, you are used to dealing with as a senior RSE rather than like a group leader or anything. I don't normally deal with finance and contracts. So it's good experience to have for, the, for career development, but... Uh, <laughs> Not one that you anticipated necessarily. Well, I'm sure it's going to work out very well. And I certainly look forward to seeing you in Swansea. So what's going to happen in the run-up to Swansea? Let's go through that a little bit. Because there's, of course, the summer break. And it's happening immediately afterwards, after August, when people come back and finish sipping their martinis by the poolside. So what's happening in the run-up? I guess the organizing committee is going to keep busy during that period, aren't they? Yes, yeah. From our perspective, we're going to be making sure that all of the talks and all of the workshops, all of the other sessions have the resources that they need. So getting in touch with people whose submissions have been accepted to make sure that we have can provide everything they need. All the details of the things around the logistics, making sure people are going to be able to eat and people are going to be able to get from one place to another and things like that. So that when everyone arrives on the 4th of September, they they have the best experience that they can. When you're a presenter, since this is going to be streamed, do people then have to submit their slide deck before the conference so that it can be ready, or is that they plug their... That is something we have asked for previous conferences because we do make the slides available on the web on the program so people can follow them along for other reasons if they have an accessibility need in the room and they can't necessarily see the screen or they want want to adjust fonts or whatever. Yeah, we, we do ask people to submit their slides in advance and we will be doing the same this year. The streaming itself will be done. It will be a screen capture from the machine being presented from. The remote participants will get exactly the same uh, stream, exactly the same presentation view as people in the room can see. Yeah, Just from a very practical, because I I know that presenters sometimes stumble over that, they walk to the podium with their own laptops. But is that possible so they can plug it in or is that laptop actually or that facility provided? There is a meeting happening in 18 minutes time uh, with (laughs) the Swansea AV team where that question will be answered. Uh, We will will provide that information to all speakers well in advance of the event so they, they know what's going on. Brilliant, exactly. Well, by the time this episode goes live, then this answer will be provided, no doubt. Okay. Oh, can I just give a, just a, another thing that is going to be happening in the run-up? Our accommodations site that we have, so that's basically set up with through Swansea University. Uh, so they've been able to give us like really good rates on rooms in the halls there. Uh, the deadline for getting those is uh, the end of July, so July the 31st. Okay. Before the conference starts, we're going to be really trying to get people to sign up for the accommodation because that there is that deadline that's a bit ahead of the conference. And it's a lot cheaper than going for a hotel and also a lot more convenient because it is on campus, you know, five minutes walk from the venue rather than a 20 minute bus ride from the center. If you have any questions about the accommodation or, you know, uh, need any help signing up for it, then just let the society know or let you know, the conference organizers know. But we, we do need to, to make sure that that's handled because this is the first year that we've tried providing accommodation for people. We don't think there should be any more snags, but, you know, we'd, we'd really like people to to not necessarily leave it till the last minute so that we can make sure everything gets done and there's time to solve any problems. Well, good luck with that. And uh, the programme, when will that be out? Uh, the programme will be out by the time this podcast goes live. 
As you are listening now, the program is live. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, excellent. Well, thank you very much, uh, Sam, and thank you very much, Ed, and thank you very much, everybody who's been helping with this conference. I'm sure it's going to be great. And as I said, I look forward to seeing you all in Swansea. Yeah, I look forward to seeing you here. Yeah. Oh, time's up. See you next time. But before I forget, this podcast is covered by the Creative Commons license. See ya.